Maybe you've wished you could walk in one side of a gym and come out on the other side a completely different person. But in life, that never happens either. It takes sacrifice. It takes what? Discipline. It takes training. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. You are a work in progress, and sometimes God prepares you for what's ahead. Today, Charles Tapp continues the series, Back to the Bible, by looking closely at the story of the Israelites' exodus from Egypt, and shares an important lesson that we sometimes forget, and his message, Out of Egypt. Today we begin part three of our series, Back to the Bible, and as I mentioned to you when we began this series a couple of weeks ago, that as we go back to the Bible, as we look at various stories, stories that are familiar to some but maybe not so familiar to others, that our hope and our prayer is simply that as we are drawn back to God's Word, that our hearts are ultimately drawn back to God. Is that your prayer today? We began part one in this series, Back to the Bible, as we look at the life of Enoch, and we discovered that the story of Enoch is the story of righteousness by faith, and that the reason that God took Enoch was not because Enoch had a walk of perfection, but he took him because Enoch had a perfect walk of faith. His perfect walk was in what God had done for him. Then we looked at the story of Hannah, which is also a story of grace. And we discovered in looking at Hannah's story that it was a story about God's divine intervention into our lives. Those parts of our lives that that may be lifeless and barren, that if we invite God to come into those parts of our lives, parts that should be fruitful, but are now dead, that God will come in and touch those parts of our lives and will bring them life and life more abundantly. But today we look not at a person, but a people. And a people that have gone through what I consider to be one of the greatest experiences in history, and that is the story of the Exodus. And we all know the story of the Exodus, that following the death of Joseph, God's people were enslaved in Egypt for some 400 years until God touched a man, a very reluctant man, to go down and to bring his people out and take them through the wilderness into the promised land. It is a story of deliverance, the deliverance of God's people. But if you look at Exodus closely, you will discover that it is more than just a story of deliverance, but it is also a story of dependence. It is a story of defiance. It is a story of defeat. And then it goes around full circle, and again, it becomes a story of deliverance, a story of dependence, a story of defiance and defeat. And as you look at Israel, as you look at their journey, their journey in many ways mirrors, or our journey mirrors their journey. For we too have been delivered by God. And when God delivers us from sin, he tries to teach us the lesson of dependence. But because many of us are defiant and disobedient and do not learn that lesson, 
we inevitably end up in defeat. Now, as I looked at this story of, the, of Exodus, I thought to myself, what part of this story could I share today? For there is so much rich material in this one story alone. Should I talk about the Exodus and the Red Sea experience and how Moses put his rod down and God parted the Red Sea? I mean, that's a great story, but that's not the one we're gonna look at today. What about when Moses touched the rock and, and God poured water from a rock? That's a good part of this story, but it's not where I'm gonna to go today. Well, Pastor, you, you must be going then to Mount Sinai where God gives his people his law, his covenant. Surely that has to be where you're going, but I'm not going there either. I'm going, since you decided not to help me and give me any advice, I decided today to look at my favorite story of the Exodus journey, and that is the story of the manna miracle. And I'm going to take it from Numbers chapter 11, although in the book of Exodus, it does tell us a lot about that story in Exodus chapter 16. But I want to look at it today from Numbers. Let's look at Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 to verse 3. Numbers 11, verses 1 to 3. Look at what the Word of God says here today. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. We'll come back to that in a minute. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and fire, the fire died down. So that place was called Tabera because fire from the Lord had burned among them. How in the world did Israel end up here? And what I mean by that, how did they end up in a state of constant complaining? Didn't God just bring them out of slavery by his mighty hand? What in the world did they have to complain about? But before you answer that question, have you ever asked yourself this question? How did you end up where you are right now? For many of us mirror them. The slightest thing that happens in our lives that takes us out of our comfort zone, we too join the ranks of the Israelites. We too begin to complain. Are we there yet? They didn't have anything, in my humble opinion, to complain about. But if you examine their complaints closely, you'll discover that there are basically two forms to this complaint. The first is this. They complained about what life had done to them. And their second form of their complaint was simply this. What they had been denied by God. But let's go back to that first one. They complained, it said in verse 1, about the hardships and the, the severity that God had placed upon them when he brought them out of Egypt into the promised land. And what I can't understand for the life of me is how did they think, why did they think, simply because God delivered them that their trek into the promised land was going to be on a bed of roses. 
Probably for the same reason that many of us, when God delivers us and we accept him, we think the rest of our lives are going to be smooth because we love God. And I'm a Christian now. That your journey until Jesus comes is going to be an easy one. And that's why so many believers become disillusioned and disheartened because they don't understand that the journey from coming out of Egypt into the promised land is desert, barren, lifeless. There are snakes in the desert. Somebody said there's snakes in the pews, but I'm not going there. I'm not going there because there's snakes in the pulpit too, amen? What made them think that they weren't going to have any difficulty, that there would be no obstacles, that they would have no struggles simply because they had been delivered by God. It has been said that everything in life that is worth anything demands a certain amount of training, a certain amount of discipline, a certain amount of struggle, and a certain amount of sacrifice. Pastor, those are bad words today. Struggle, sacrifice, training, discipline. Those are words that are not too popular in our culture today. You know, when I was growing up, my parents didn't just hand us stuff. But today, today's culture, we feel as though we're entitled to everything. My daughters all have their driver's licenses now. <laughs> and as they learn how to drive, I have this old 1992 Ford Taurus. All of them had to learn on that car, which meant that's the car that they got the dents with. That would be the car that they forgot to change the oil. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I had to train them with that car so that they will be fit for the real car. So now two of my daughters have real cars, but they first had to train on the old white car. Victoria is still training on the old white car. She's not getting a real car yet. She's got to be disciplined. She's got to sacrifice. She's got to struggle. And then when she has proven herself, then she'll get the real car. What makes us think that we're supposed to get the best automatically without struggle, without sacrifice, without discipline, without training? Oh no, not in my house. <laughs> it was the motivational speaker Zig Ziglar who said that the elevator to success is out of order, but the stairs still work. <laughs> Write that down, you want me to say it again? <laughs> Zig Ziglar says that the elevator to success is out of order, but guess what, the stairs still work, which means it takes effort, it takes struggle, 
even in our walk with God. Although you and I may be saved by grace, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, that we need to discipline ourselves toward godliness. And the word that he uses there for discipline is the word gymsia, which is where we get our English word gymnasium from. And why, why do you go to the gym? To get in shape. But do you just walk in one door and out the other and you're in shape? Huh? No. It takes struggle. It takes sacrifice. It takes what? Discipline. It takes training. You're not going to just come out of Egypt and go straight to the promised land. Why? You're not fit to go in yet. You may have a reservation, but you're not ready to go in. When you look at the first verse in Numbers 11, it says that, that God was so angered by the spirit of complaining that he rained down fire from heaven and it consumed portions of the outskirts of the camp. Two questions I have when I read that. First question is this. Why was God so angry to this point? Because all throughout scripture, it is replete of person after person after person that has complained about God. From the Old Testament to the New Testament and God never rained down fire on them. Why did he choose to rain down fire on this group? Well, the author George Coates in his book titled Rebellion in Wilderness says, listen, this wasn't just any ordinary run-of-the-mill complaining session. He says this was an all-out revolt, rebellion in the desert. And I said, wow. It wasn't just how you and I complain when things don't go our way. They, in a sense, were rebelling against God. Here's my second question when I read this. If God is perfect and God is perfect, then why wasn't God's aim perfect when he rained down the fire? Why didn't God hit the people? Some of you may be asking, did God miss his target? No, God didn't miss his target. His target wasn't the people. This was simply a warning shot. When was the last time God created a set of circumstances in your life, not to harm you, but to wake you up. He wasn't trying to hit you. It was just a warning shot. But you know what happens? When there's a warning shot in our lives, if we don't pay attention to them, the next shot is going to be the real thing. And God brings these warning shots into our lives through other people. He brings them into our lives as we engage with his word. Every time the word of God is preached, that is a warning shot. God is saying, align yourself to my will. I'm not trying to harm you, but I want you to listen. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Out of Egypt. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. I'm going to take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. 
Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in His grace and breathing out His praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged. To get more encouraging content, go to WGTS919.com. This is Simple Truths for Life, and you are a work in progress. And to get where God wants you to be takes preparation. This week, Charles Tapp shares what we can learn from the Israelites' journey to the Promised Land as he continues with the rest of his message, Out of Egypt. The bigger question we need to ask today is, did that warning shot work? Let's find out. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 and 6. Look at what the Word of God says. The rabble with them began to crave other food. Other food. And again, the Israelites, what? Wait, 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 wait. What about the warning shot? And again, the Israelites started what? Wailing this time. First they were complaining. God sent out a warning shot, but now they're wailing. If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate freely at no cost in Egypt. No cost, everything has a cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks. Hold on, lunch is coming soon. The onions and the garlic. But look at verse six. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Did they really want meat that badly that they were willing to be enslaved to go back to Egypt to have it? How many of you, like me, you love food? I love food. My mother was the best cook when I was growing up. Whenever I would come home from college, she would make my favorite dish, meatloaf, macaroni, cheese, corn, bread. That was a regular thing in my house growing up. But you know what? I would rather eat peanut butter and jelly and be free than have my favorite meal and have to be enslaved. What was so big about this meat that they were reminiscing about having been enslaved? Here's the issue. It really wasn't the meat. It was this. They were now battling between the old flesh and the flesh that was being led by the Spirit of God. That's why Paul said in Romans 7, listen, the things I want to do, those are the things I find myself, what? Not doing. Those things I try hard not to do, Paul says those are the things that I end up doing. Paul almost sounds somewhat schizophrenic, but he's not. He's just battling with his nature. Part of him wants to serve God. The other part says, I want to go back to Egypt, even though he's out of Egypt. 
And we have that same issue. We may be out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of us. So there's this constant struggle in our lives of pleasing God. We're physically out of Egypt, but there's a part of Egypt that is still living in our souls, fighting for dominance. Word of God says, listen, I'm not pleased when you compare where you are to where you came, where you came from. God doesn't want us to look back and reminisce about all the things we gave up to be with him. He wants us to look at where we are and compare to what we will be and where we will be. That's why Paul says those things which are not seen, those are the things you need to focus on. And the things that are seen, the the trial, the trouble, the challenges, those are the things you don't need to focus on for they are temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Their problem was they were focusing too much on the things which were seen instead of the things that were unseen. In other words, they were focusing on their immediate cravings rather than their ultimate destiny. And that's what you and I do when we sin. We're so focused on our immediate craving, not realizing that it can ultimately impact our eternal destiny. Here's the second dimension of their complaint. You remember what the first one was? They were complaining about the hardships of life and and how life had, had treated them so badly. But their second complaint was this. They were complaining to God about what he was denying from them. And one of the worst witnesses of a child of God is to begin to share why you can't do so and so and why you can't go here and why you can't go there. That's exactly what they were doing. They were complaining about what God was denying from them. And what was he denying from them? Meat. Just meat. They complained because they couldn't have it. And Moses started to complain. And finally Moses said to God, listen, I don't know what's up with your people, but you need to do something with them. God told Moses, he said, is my arm so short? In other words, God was saying, I got this, Moses. It's not about you. In essence, God was trying to teach his people, and he was trying to teach Moses, and he is still trying to teach the church today, dear friends, that our success is not about our numbers, it's not about our strength, it's not about our location, it's not about our doctrine. Our success as a people is our total dependence on him, period. His people, in the midst of their challenges, decided to be defiant instead of being dependent. Look at verses 18, Numbers chapter 11. Let me show you what happens when we're determined to do things our way. Instead of being dependent, we're going to be defiant. God says, you want meat? Okay. Tell the people to consecrate themselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to give you what you want. The Lord heard you when you, were, when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. I don't even understand this next statement. We were better off in Egypt. You hear people talk about the good old days. Guess what? The good old days weren't all that good. Amen? They just look good through the rearview mirror of life. But when you were there, you were going, oh, how are we going to make it today? And and 20 years down the road, we're going to look back, oh, remember the good old days 
when the economy was bad and no, no, no. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord, listen, will give you meat, but don't miss this, and you will eat it. In other words, you want this? Guess what? I'm going to give it to you, and you will eat it. Sounds like a parent talking to their child at the table. You ask for that, you put it on your plate, you will eat it. Every bit of it. My father was like that because he grew up in the depression. You eat everything. I used to give my stuff to the dog when he walked out, you know. But look at verse 19. You will not eat it just for one day. God says, you want it? All right. You're going to have it not just for two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord. In other words, instead of being dependent, you were defiant. You want this? I'm going to give it to you. How does it taste now? Saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Sometimes God will give us what we want even if it could possibly destroy us because he wants us to understand that we didn't need it in the first place. Amen? Sometimes God will give you the very thing that he hates. Sometimes God will allow you to have the thing that he abhors simply so that you can understand that the work he's trying to do in you is a work of love. It is a work of grace. So even when God fires a warning shot, that's grace. Even when God says, eat the meat, it's grace. Because by doing so, God's trying to get you back on track. But here's the point I don't want you to miss before I close. When they said we want a better set of circumstances or we want a better cuisine, that's not really what they were saying. They were just using that as a, as a way to get around what they were really saying. What they were really saying is this, we want a better God. We want a God that will let us do whatever we want to do, however we choose to do it, wherever we decide to do it. And since you're not going to be that kind of God, we want a better God. We want a God that we can control. So they just couched it in that whole meat thing. It wasn't about meat. That's why they later built the golden calf. It was about they wanted a better God. They wanted a different God. But here's the clincher. Many of us want the same thing. Be honest. Times in my life, times in your life, you go, if only I had a different God. If only I could eat meat. If only I could go back to Egypt. Look at this quotation by Ellen White, Desire of Ages. She says, God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led. If they could see the end from what? The beginning and discern, here's the key, and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. In other words, we, want, we wouldn't ask for the same life simply because of what we could see us going through, but we want the same life because of what we could see 
coming out of what we're going through. It's not about having a better God. It's not about having a better set of circumstances. It's about being a better people. It's about being a grace-filled people that respond to God's grace, even his warning shots, even when God takes us through territory that we've asked for and we get there and we realize we don't really want it. God says, stay there for a while because I love you and I'm giving you grace because I know once you come out of it, you'll never go back to Egypt. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Out of Egypt. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. Many of the challenges that we are experiencing currently in our lives, you and I had a hand in putting that together. Whether because of things we did not do or things we should have done, but you and I contribute to the circumstances many times that we're experiencing in our lives. Depending on your circumstances, it can be easy to wonder whether God has your back. Next week, you won't want to miss the conclusion of this series, Back to the Bible, as Charles Tapp asks, who holds the reins to your heart? With his message, the Lord of the Reins. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.